Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. You can run, but you can't hide. That's what we're going to see out of the book of Jonah today. So please make your way to the probably the most famous of the minor prophets. They're called the minor prophets not because they're insignificant. It's just that their messages are a lot shorter than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We're, we established over the last few weeks in the book of Jonah, Jonah is on the run from the Lord. The Lord had given him a plan, a job to preach the gospel message to the Ninevites. Jonah wasn't interested. He didn't like the Assyrians. He didn't want to preach to Nineveh, so he took off and got on a boat. And we saw last week he was taking a nap when the Lord, Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, hurled a giant wind and storm on the sea. And we pick up the story today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your relentless grace. Every one of us is and has been, and if our record proves correct, God will be a Jonah until the day your son comes back. So we long for that day, God. We thank you that the power of sin has been broken over our life because of Jesus, because you've given us your spirit, God, but yet we still struggle. And we need your presence. Thank you for your grace. Help us as we look at your word today. See how relentless you are in your pursuit of sinners and rebels who try to run from you. May we remember that we will never succeed. And may you get glory when you bring us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can run, but you cannot hide. Perhaps that is never seen as clearly as in a horror movie. Maybe many of you aren't horror movie buffs, but I grew up watching horror movies, and one of my best friends from high school still makes horror movies in Hollywood. So occasionally he'll tell me about his latest movie that's out. So I thought I would pass on some horror film wisdom to you today. In the event that you end up in a horror movie on the set of some movie and you're a character in the story, this might come in handy. When it seems that you've killed the monster, never check to see if it's really dead. I don't know why they do it, but they always do, don't they? Number two, do not search the basement, especially when the power has just gone out. Number three, when you have the benefit of numbers, never go alone. Why is it there's like 40 people at some teen summer camp? There's 40 of them, and one guy decides to walk down that dark road by himself. Why not take a few people? Number four, if you're searching for something which caused a noise and find out that it's just the cat, leave the room immediately if you value your life. Number five, if your car runs out of gas at night, do not go to the nearby deserted-looking house to phone for help. Number six, when something bad is chasing you, this is my favorite, when something bad is chasing you, bear in mind that when you try to start your car, no matter how reliable the vehicle is normally, you'll have to crank the engine over many times before it will fire up. 
Number seven, if you are using a gun to combat the all-consuming evil, it is a good idea to quickly find a new means of defense. Because no matter how much ammo you have, you'll run out just before you kill the monster. And last, if you're running from the monster, you will most likely trip or fall. If you are female, you will trip or fall. You cannot outrun a monster in a horror movie. Jonah needed this wisdom. Jonah needed to be reminded that you cannot outrun God. God is not a monster. God is a loving God and he has creation at his disposal. And God will use whatever means necessary to get your attention and to bring you back to him. You cannot outrun God. That's what Jonah is about to find out in today's text. Our big idea for today is this. Sooner or later, the Lord will get you and get glory when you run from him. Sooner or later, the Lord will grab you by the scruff of your neck to bring you back to him. And sooner or later, in that process, he will get glory for himself. It may happen quickly. It may take a long time for it to happen. But sooner or later, the Lord will expose you when you run from him. He loves you that much. He loves me that much. He will not sit back and relax. He is stubborn. He is relentless. And it's all grace when he does it. Look at verse 7 through 10 with me and hear the words of the relentless God. And the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Remember, Jonah is on the run from the Lord. He so despised the Assyrian city of Nineveh, and the people that lived here, he shuddered to think that they should receive God's mercy. So instead of going and preaching the gospel to the city of Nineveh, Jonah thought, I'll run away. And if I run away, then God will send his judgment and wipe out these enemies of Israel and we'll never have to deal with him again. He was a prophet of the Lord who was to be a mouthpiece for the Lord, preaching the good news to Nineveh. And he runs away, and now he finds himself on a boat, as we saw last week, that was about to break into pieces in the middle of this tremendous storm with a group of pagan sailors who just woke him up from a great nap. These pagan sailors knew something was up. In fact, we'll read later on that two times it'll say that the sea became more and more tempestuous. The nature of this storm, this deadly storm, the sailors knew something was up. In the ancient Near East, you would not sail out in your boat in the stormy season because when you sailed out in your boat in the stormy season, usually you didn't come back alive. The waters were supposed to be calm at this time in this season. They knew 
There must be some God behind this phenomenon that is happening here. They knew one of us is responsible for what's happening to the sea. So they began casting lots to see who it is. Remember, you have to keep in mind here that there is a massive hurricane-like storm happening on the sea. You have to picture the men, you know, falling around on the boat as the waters are crashing and the rain and the lightning and the thunder. And they're having to yell at each other to communicate. Because when I read it, I just naturally, I picture them, the water's just kind of calm and they're having a conversation. You have to picture water slamming down and they're having to yell. So as you hear the men speaking to Jonah and Jonah speaking to them, picture them yelling at the top of their lungs because the wind and the rain is happening. I'll only do it here in verse 7. But picture it for the rest of the time. But picture them, verse 7 says, and they said to one another, picture them screaming, come, let us cast lots. That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Picture them yelling, competing with all of the noise. And picture Jonah not saying a word. As he's kind of being tossed around on the deck trying to keep. It's, it's his sin that has caused this. His sin that caused the sailors to lose their cargo and their treasure. To throw them overboard. It is his sin that is about to destroy the captain's boat. And yet Jonah is sitting back and acting like he has done nothing. See, that's the nature of sin. It will destroy you and it will destroy the people in your life. Jonah is still trying to control the situation. Because he doesn't fess up, does he? Maybe the lot won't reveal that he's guilty. Maybe he can ride this storm out, pun intended, and never have to reveal his sin. But Jonah forgot that he's not in control. He thinks he's in control. But he's about to find out that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is the one who's in control of his life. And God will show his power and his sovereignty when they cast the lots. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So these men cast lots. It's probably similar to our method of, you know, you, you draw straws, you know, or you, you roll the dice. Maybe they used colored rocks. Wh- whatever method they used, the Lord used their method. He used this ancient Near Eastern custom to expose Jonah. The lots revealed that he was responsible for what was happening to these sailors. This teaches us that sooner or later, the Lord will get you and get glory when you run from him. The lot fell to Jonah and he stood exposed. So the sailors start this barrage of questions. They want to know what he did that they say caused this evil to come upon them. They've lost their cargo. They've lost their treasures. The boat, as we saw last week, is personified as a character in the story. The boat is seriously considering breaking apart. They're scared to death. Their adrenaline is pumping. And they want to know, dude, what did you do to your God to cause this to happen with uh, to us? Look at verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? The sailors want to know, where do you work? What do you do for a living? Where do you come from? What's your race? Tell us, what have you done? And Jonah comes clean with them in verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea 
and the dry land. So picture the chaos on the boat with the wind, the waves, the thunder, the lightning. Jonah is exposed by the lots and he comes clean with him and he says, "Uh, I'm a Hebrew. You may have heard of us. Yep, I I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven. Yes, that God, the one who made the sea and dry land. Actually, the Hebrew text here places emphasis on the Lord. Literally, Jonah's response is this. Yahweh, the God of heavens, I fear, who made the sea in the dry land. Jonah thought he was in control of his life. Jonah thought he was in control of the words that came out of his mouth. Jonah thought he was in control of his conversation. And yet God, in his sovereignty, inserts himself here. And he gets preeminence in the sentence and totally throws out Hebrew grammar. And he says, Yahweh. It's the one that I worship. Here is Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, who's supposed to go preach to a pagan city and tell them about Yahweh the sovereign Lord, that he's about to wipe out their city. He doesn't want to go tell these pagans in Nineveh. And here he is telling another group of pagans about the Lord. It shows us that Jonah didn't necessarily have a problem with the pagans And the pagan nations and societies around him, it tells us that Jonah specifically had a problem with the Ninevites because they were Assyrians. So we would do well to ask ourselves, pause here for a moment, say, is there a particular race that you don't like, that you know deep down inside you don't like them? Maybe it's the way they cook, the clothes they wear, the way they smell, their language, their cultures, their custom. Is there a particular race that you don't like and you've elevated your own race, learn from Jonah. The Lord will not relent until he has your heart. He may actually bring the very people that you despise into your life so that he might transform you. So Jonah comes clean with these pagan sailors and tells them that he worships the very God that made the sea that just happens to be raging and threatening all of their lives. I worship Yahweh, the God who made the sea. But these rough and tough, hardened pagan sailors aren't dumb. They can put two and two together. If you're running from and disobeying Yahweh, the creator of the sea, And the sea is churning and raging. Wait a minute. I I know where you're going with this, Jonah. They figured it out. In fact, they figure it out. And it says that they were exceedingly afraid. The Hebrew is they feared a great fear. And they asked Jonah, what is this that you have done? And then verse 10 doesn't tell us what Jonah says. It just says that Jonah told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Yeah, Yahweh, the God who made the sea, the God that I, I worship, I'm on the run from him. He's after me. The lots exposed Jonah, and then he came clean with the sailors and revealed his sin. Understand, sooner or later, the Lord will get you, and he will get glory when you run from him. We'll see the Lord actually get Jonah and then get glory In the next section, look at verses 11 through 16 with me. Then the sailors said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. Now the storm has picked up. Two times we learned that the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is after Jonah. He is relentless. He loves Jonah too much to leave him alone in his sin. Grace is on Jonah's tail. Now notice the role reversal that happens here between Jonah and the pagan sailors. They ask Jonah, what can we do for you to get the sea to calm down for us? And then Jonah tells him, throw me overboard and then the sea will calm down for you because I know the storm has come upon you because of me. Jonah's sin had greatly affected these innocent pagan sailors. I don't say they're innocent in the, in, as we talked about last week. I'm not saying they're innocent in that they weren't born into sin. I'm saying they didn't ask for this guy to get on their boat and have their boat fall apart and then drowned. They didn't ask for that. It's often that way in our lives when we run from the Lord. The innocent people in our life are drastically affected. These innocent sailors have been drastically affected by Jonah's sin. It's Jonah's sin. It's his fault. And yet, how do these sailors respond when he says, throw me overboard? You would expect them to grab him immediately and sling him and wait for that kerplunk. But they don't do that. What do they do? They start rowing harder to get back to dry land. What grace they show Jonah. What mercy they show Jonah. What irony here. These wicked pagan sailors show compassion and mercy to Jonah. The prophet who did not want to show compassion and mercy to pagan Nineveh. Jonah does everything to avoid saving the lives of the Ninevites. And yet the sailors do everything possible to save Jonah. They throw the, over their, their cargo overboard, they risk destroying their ship, and they risk their very lives to save a rebellious prophet. In fact, the sailors try to row to dry land, but they forget that Yahweh made the dry land too. Listen, if Yahweh is after Jonah, he can get him in the sea, he can get him on dry land as well, because he made it. But they care for Jonah. And he didn't care for the Ninevites. Sometimes the world is a lot nicer and caring and compassionate than the church. Sometimes the world cares more than we do. Sometimes they excel in kindness and generosity. Oh, how the church so often is like Jonah. And though very commendable, verse 13 tells us that the supreme generosity of the sailors in trying to save Jonah was no match for Yahweh. 
the sea escalated and the sailors realized that they were no match for Yahweh's sea. They realized that they were in over their head and they were about to literally be in over their head. So they cry out to the Lord and ask him to have mercy on them because of what they are about to do to Jonah. Look at verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord. And when you see all capital letters Lord in the Old Testament, it's letting you know that this is Yahweh, God's covenant name. Then they cried out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. Notice the sailors call on the Lord here. They call on Yahweh. Whereas earlier the captain had told Jonah, get up and cry out to to a God and perhaps the God will save us. Here they're calling out on the Lord. Their prayer is rich with God's relentless grace here. They pray for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. See, the Lord is in hot pursuit of Jonah. And even though it seems destructive, it is mercy. The Lord's pleasure is all merciful. He does what he pleases. Understand this. God takes great delight, great pleasure in pursuing rebels. God loves to chase his people down and turn their hearts back to him. Why? Because he is a loving God and he knows that we will only be happy when we are serving him. He knows that he will get glory big time when his people turn back to him in wholehearted worship. He gets glory when his people delight to do his will. He delights to see his people delight in him. The pagan sailors are correct. God is mercifully pursuing Jonah and it brings him pleasure. Sooner or later, the Lord will get you and get glory when you run from him. In Luke 15, Jesus tells two parables to underscore the joy that God has when sinners repent. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. What do these two parables of the Savior teach us? That God takes great delight in showing mercy to sinners. God takes great delight in forgiving sinners and drawing them to himself. He showed this kind of mercy to Jonah, who was supposed to be declaring the message of mercy to Nineveh. And it also appears that God shows this kind of mercy to these pagan sailors. Look at verses 15 and 16. So the sailors picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. As soon as they heard kerplunk and they see that Jonah is in the sea, the sea stops its raging. It's calm. I kind of picture them, you know, four of them, one on each hand and and, and ankle, and one, two, and three, and then splash, and then the sea is calm. Imagine, it's been chaotic, there's wind, there's there's rain, there's waves, there's thunder, there's lightning, and suddenly it stops. How do the pagan sailors respond to Yahweh's control of the sea? They worship 
Even Jonah's rebellion couldn't keep God from getting glory from these pagan sailors. Sooner or later, when you run from the Lord, he's going to get you and he will get glory. There's debate here about whether or not the sailors experienced salvation. Some scholars think they truly experienced a conversion, that they would have gone back and, and became circumcised and joined the Israelites. Maybe they did. But what does the text say? It says they literally feared a great fear of the Lord. They offered sacrifices and made vows. We have to stick with the text. It appears at the very least that they were impacted by the Lord that day. I think there was a change of heart. And that they worshipped. I don't know the time frame from when Jonah hit the water and was swallowed up by the fish. Maybe Jonah could see them worshipping Yahweh as he floated away. Maybe he was swallowed up by the proverbial whale immediately. Maybe Jonah sank to the bottom immediately. I kind of like the picture. Jonah goes over sea, over the ship. He, the water calms down. It's calm and it's quiet. And then Jonah sees these pagan sailors worshiping Yahweh and crying out to Yahweh and giving thanks to Yahweh and offering sacrifices and making waves. And I see Jonah kind of just drifting away, which is why I think Jonah rehearses the gospel in the belly of the fish that we'll look at next week. I think he realizes, man, I should have gone to Nineveh. God's going to reach people. He's going to reach the nations. Even through my rebellion, God will get glory. Jonah had run to the ends of the earth to avoid sharing the gospel with pagans, and yet pagans end up getting converted. God got glory when these sailors turned their hearts to him. You can't stop God. You can't keep him from getting the glory that is due his name. You see, Jonah lost sight of his calling to go to the nations, specifically the city of Nineveh. Jonah forgot his calling. Old Testament scholar Alec Motier says, election is a privilege, but it is much more a responsibility. To be united with the Lord is to join a missionary society. To be a Christian, to be a disciple, to be involved in the church, there is a calling on your life to make disciples of every nation. Being a Christian is not about being on vacation. Being a Christian is all about a vocation, being involved and busy about making disciples. You, if you're a part of the elect of God that God has drawn you, he's chosen you before time was around, before we, at time as we know, before the earth was created. If he's drawn you by his spirit, if he has opened your eyes to see the truth and you are one of his elect people, you have joined a missionary society. It's who the people of God have always been. And Jonah has lost sight of that. Jonah forgot that he was a part of the church, the missionary society, the people of God. Jonah forgot that he was serving a mission-sending, mission-busy God that he could not outrun. You see, sooner or later, the Lord will get you and will get glory when you run from him. You will be exposed sooner or later. 
First Timothy 5, verses 24 through 25. It says, The sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Even though the context here is talking about not being hasty and, and electing elders and choosing elders for a church, the principle is there. Wait a little bit so that the way someone lives will become evident. Sooner or later, you will be exposed and I will be exposed when we run from the Lord. One day, God will reveal everything done in the body whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that. And we will receive rewards based on the good or the bad done in the body. We will be exposed one day when we stand before the Lord. Everyone will. But the good news of the gospel is that 2,000 years ago, we were already exposed, not through our disobedience, but through one man's obedience at the cross through Jesus Christ. Christ. And in the end, Christian, God will get glory even from your sins and your sinful lifestyle because they will highlight the beauty and the wonder of the cross. We will forever, for eternity, be singing of the Lamb who was slain for our sins. So we're going we're gonna to be aware of that. Otherwise, we'd say, why do we keep singing about this lamb who was slain for our sins? What sins? I don't get it, but let's worship him. God's going to get glory even from our sinful lives because of grace, because of the cross, because of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you do what Paul combats in Romans 6. Well, if grace is going to increase and God's going to get glory, then let's go haywire and live any way we want to so that he gets glory. No, you don't understand grace. When you understand grace, you say, I don't want to do those things, but I know that in the end, God will get glory by saving sinners through Jesus Christ. Understand that. God even trumps our sinful lifestyle through the cross. He is determined to get glory. And he will get glory for eternity as we sing about the lamb who was slain for our sins. That's the gospel. Even though we were exposed at the cross as sinners, and even though one day we will be exposed as our life is laid bare before the Lord for the Christian, it will not be a day of running away in horror. It will be a day of pointing to Jesus and saying, it's because of him that I am forgiven of such great, heinous crimes against a holy God. So that when our sins are brought up immediately, the focus will go to Jesus, and he will get glory. What can we learn from Jonah? Palmer Robertson sums it up so well. He says, so what do you learn from Jonah's flight and the Lord's pursuit? You learn that God pursues one man to the death, that he might bless the many. God's grace has a persistence that exceeds all human determination. God hounds Jonah to the ends of the earth that he might bless the nations. Jesus, the one described as greater than Jonah, displays the love of God that saves sinners even more clearly. God pursued his own son even to the death that many from every nation under heaven might be saved. It is not an evil that you are escaping when you flee from the will of God. His will for those who trust him always is an embodiment of his perfect love. 
Stop running from God. Give yourself now to the doing of his will. Christian, today is a day for you to wave goodbye to your sin. And if you're not a Christian, you've never turned from your sins, you've never fessed up that you've broken God's commandments, oh, what I want more than anything for you today is for you to see the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is for everybody. It's for anybody. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of life you've lived. The gospel is that Jesus takes your sin and goes to the cross and suffers God's righteous wrath for you. And in love, he gives you his perfect life. And forever in God's eyes you will be seen as one who has never sinned because you're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. That is the gospel. No one is too far from God. No one is, has lived too far out of reach of the gospel. The gospel is for anyone who admits, I have committed heinous crimes against the holy God and have lived opposite of his word. But I believe in Jesus. God delights to bring sinners into his presence through the gospel. God delights to forgive sinners. Why does God delight to forgive sinners? Because when he does, it puts the spotlight where it belongs on his son Jesus. God delights to forgive sinners because the basis of his forgiving sinners is this spotlight that is put squarely where it belongs on his son. And God gets glory when he forgives people like you and people like me because it puts the spotlight on Jesus and says, look what my son has done for these rebellious sinners. So he loves to forgive. So come to him today. He delights, he takes pleasure in forgiving your sin. So just come to him. His grace is enough today for you to wash away your sins. If you're not a Christian, come to him today. He'll wash you clean. If you are a Christian, today's the day to rehearse the gospel and say, it's true for me because I'm still a sinner. I still need to be forgiven. I'm his adopted child, but I need to be washed new in the blood of Jesus again today. God delights in drawing sinners to himself. His grace is enough for you today. Will you come to him today and give him glory by saying, I am needy. I need your grace today. You will bring him delight. You will bring him pleasure because the focus will be on his son and what he has done to bring us to him. Let's pray. Thank you for your relentless grace, Father, for chasing us down. And God, ultimately, you chased us down when you chased your son down at the cross, when you poured your wrath out upon him to bring us to you. God, your grace is enough for every single person here today. Those who need to come to you for the first time to escape judgment in hell forever, your grace is enough for them if they would just call out to you and say, forgive me, I trust in Jesus. And God, your grace is enough for your children here this morning for us to cry out and say, God, we're just as needy as we ever were. Thank you, God. 
for your relentless grace that pursues us down to bring us back to you that you may take great delight and pleasure in bringing sinners to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.